Wow, that was great. So great to see this huge band that we have up here. We're almost going to have to build a bigger stage if we get more people up here. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for everyone. Well, again, my name is Scott Johnson. It is great to be here this morning, filling in for Pastor Matt, who um, is still in quarantine for uh, being uh, next to someone who actually had COVID, but he himself and his family are doing fine. No symptoms. They're great. And outside of himself being excited to be out of quarantine tomorrow, so am I glad. And I'm sure all of us are glad. Can we give it up for Pastor Matt? I know he's watching. We love you, brother. Get back quick, okay? Hey, we're going to have some fun today in our message. Last week we talked about James. I know it was a little bit of a tough one. Um, I've had to live with that all week. I lived with it for the hours that it took me to put it together. This one is going to be kind of like a follow-up to that message. We're going to be talking about how all of this works together, how faith and works work together, and how we play a part in the kingdom in, in our church in a unified body of believers. It's going to be a fun time. I really believe it will be fun. And, uh, but, you know, I want to start out and ask you guys a question. So how many of you have tried successfully or unsuccessfully to put a puzzle together at some point in your life. Yeah. Most, most people have. I think it's less popular than it used to be. But I, will, but I know that growing up, my mom was a huge puzzle person. I mean, every winter, especially, I grew up in Omaha. There really wasn't a lot to do in the cold of Omaha in the wintertime. Sometimes it was so cold you couldn't go outside. But uh, we would have a card table out in our living room with a puzzle on it. My mom was relentless as far as putting puzzles together. She would sit there, sometimes it seemed like for hours, and put these puzzles together. And we had, we had this one puzzle of the, the Last Supper. You know, I think, I don't know, I'm sure we weren't the only house that had that puzzle. It was a huge puzzle. It was a thousand pieces, if I remember right. And it, it turned, when it was finished, you know, and you always had the box propped up, right, so that you could see what the picture was supposed to look like. And then you try and find all these pieces and put these thousand pieces together. And I remember, I remember one year when we put it together and we got to the end and we realized that there was one piece missing. Can you guess which piece that might have been? The one in the middle, <laughs> one in the middle which was... Jesus' face. There's something about the, the Last Supper and its picture missing the face of Christ that makes that incomplete. And today when we look at our passages that we're going to look at, we're going to look at three different passages. We're going to be looking at how God has taken us as a body of believers and sort of put us together as a puzzle and why would we use the metaphor of puzzle? Well, because we are back into our series talking about our mission, our vision, and our core commitments as a church. So if you're new here today, this is actually really good. Because our second core commitment is connecting authentically together. And so you can tell we have these nice puzzles, pictures here together, and they're fit nice and neat, right? And so we're going to look at how Scripture takes that as a metaphor 
and puts it all together and how a puzzle put together in unity and in perfect oneness without any missing pieces, how that works and how we can play a part in that. So, the first thing that we're going to look at today, because there's three different things that we're going to see. The first one that we're going to see, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and we're going to see why unity is important. And then the second one, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27, and we're going to see how important it is for each of us as a piece designed perfectly for our Lord, by our Lord, to fit into this puzzle and how that helps us to make it unified and complete. And third, we're going to look at in John 17, 20 through 23. And we're going to see how important it was for Jesus and how important it is for Jesus that we are unified and what the front of the box looks like when it's completed. It's going to be great. So let's pray. And then we'll move right into our first section. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us about unity, what it means to be a unified body, and why that is important, not only to us in the church, but why that's important as a witness out into the world. Lord, we thank you. I ask for your blessing upon your message this morning, Lord, that you would speak through us, speak through your word, Lord, and that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what it is that you have to say. We praise you and give you all the glory in your name. Amen. So our first point is that that we must be completely and authentically connected in unity for this puzzle to be completed. Because there's nothing more annoying than putting a puzzle together and finding a piece missing. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles this morning or your phone or whatever device you may be using, if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, we're going to start there. Starting in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. Man, that is a beautiful six verses of Scripture right there. Paul starts out and he tells the Ephesians that he is a prisoner of the Lord, that he is captive to the mission that God has called him to. Now, Paul knows what it's like to truly be a prisoner and be in prison, but he's also talking metaphorically about how he is captive to the mission of Christ. And so he is authentically connected to the Lord himself. And so his words bring authority as one who lives this out in his own life. His love for the mission, his love for the unity of the local body and the church universal, the body of Christ, which is his bride. And he comes out and he gives us a command right away. He gives the people of Ephesus a command that rings out as true today as it did then. We know it's a command because 
he's using an imperative tense in the verse. And that is the word urge. And it means to exhort or to implore us to do something. This is not a, a suggestion. It's a command. So what is he commanding us to do? What is Paul telling us that we need to do? Well, if we're still in verse 1, he says he is telling us to walk, to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And if we want to find out what we have been called to, we can drop down there in Ephesians 4 and we can look at verses 11 through 16. Starting in verse 11, Paul says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until, and this is the, not that that other part's not important, but this is what I really want us to see. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature to manhood, we can say womanhood too, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From where, excuse me, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, unity is maturity. And that's an important thing for us to understand as we go forward. Last week when we heard the message about James, we learned that having an apathetic or a couch potato faith is not what God wants from us. He wants us to be participating in our faith. He wants us to be participating in our walk with the Lord, in our knowledge of Him, fulfilling the good works that He's called us to do in advance. Well, Paul has given us a similar command. He doesn't say when you walk if you feel like walking. He says walk, live, get out, and act worthy to what the Lord has called us to, a life of unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is movement. It is action. It is not sitting around and waiting for it to happen. And again, we repeat this a lot, but we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we're to love His church, His people, as we love ourselves. We're to be a witness to the skeptics and the doubters, the atheists and agnostics that are out and about every day. We are about the truth of Christ and his message. And we, are the, we bring the hope of the world out into the world because we carry Christ with us wherever we go. We must let our faces shine in the presence of our God, just as Moses did. If you remember the story in Exodus 34 when Moses came down from the mountain after being with God and his face shone with the presence of God so much so that the Israelites couldn't take it. They asked him to put a veil on his face. 
Well, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that instead of covering our face like they did in Exodus, we are to let our light shine before people to show the love of Christ, to show the difference of what he has done in our life. This is all part of being unified together. So we ask, well, how do we do that, Paul? That seems like a big challenge. Well, in this passage, he gives us four attributes that help us to attain the unity in the body that the Lord has called us to. And the first one is humility, starting in verse 2, with all humility. What does that mean? What does he mean by humility? Well, it means not to elevate ourselves over others. The original word here had a sense of servitude to it. We are to be servants. In the ancient Greek world that Paul was talking to, this was offensive. And Paul knew it was offensive, and that did not stop him from bringing this message to them. In fact, it drove him further to tell them, look, in your world, your world that you live in, you want people to elevate you and for you to be served and not see yourself as a servant. But I am telling you, that is wrong thinking. You need to put yourself behind other people and be a servant. You know why? Because Jesus himself came as a servant, as we read in Mark 10, 45. Jesus said himself, he said this, even the Son of Man, meaning even the one who created the universe came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we are to be an example of him, then we need to be servants. We need to be humble. We need to elevate others. And how do we do this in the church? We don't think of ourselves as greater than another person. Sometimes we think that, you know, if you're up front, that you have a greater gift than a person who maybe cleans the church. Let me tell you, that is wrong thinking. And none of us who stand up here would ever think that, or you will not be standing up here. Because we need to understand that everybody in this church, every gift that you have, everything that the Lord has called you to do is just as important as the next thing. And we will talk more about that in a little bit. In the American way, we, we talk about self-sufficiency a lot. And that's not what God wants from us. There's nothing wrong with working hard and being good at something and doing your job. There is a problem when you're taking credit for the things that you have gotten and achieved when they came from our Father in Heaven. He is the one who graced you with the ability to do the things that you were taking credit for. And this is what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus. Don't think that way. You must be humble. Jesus is on the throne and you sit under him. Humility. The second attribute is gentleness. And Paul lists gentleness as one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. This means that we're to have a mild disposition, to not be a hothead, which sometimes, you know, I've been known to get angry, so this speaks to me as well as it does to anyone else. That we're to not always try to have our way. That we are to 
have a meekness about us to listen first, speak last. Not always looking for a confrontation, but being the one who actually tries to resolve the confrontation. Sometimes confrontations happen. Sometimes confrontations are needed. But that doesn't mean that we go into confrontation with all of our guns loaded and out of the holsters before we start. You know, if that happens later, well, it happens. But in the beginning of a confrontation, we make sure that we stay centered in humility and gentleness. The third one is patience. And this means not to be quick to judge or to avenge a wrong that someone may have done to you. They may not even have known that they did it to you. We are to take care of this in love, in patience, to be long-suffering. The Lord wants us to be patient with each other, not to be quick to judge, because impatience can bring division. We have to understand that being a part of the church is messy, and it's open to all people. We have sinners from all different walks of life, but let me tell you, we're all sinners, every one of us. Me, Matt, all of us, sinners. All of us, sinners. And all of us have a story. All of us came from a different place, and we came here. We need to understand that being a part of this body is messy. This is a family that is diverse, and it always will be messy. And that's what caused Christ to go to the cross for us. And last, and arguably the most important attribute is love. In Greek, there are six different words for love. This one that we're talking about is the love that the Lord has for us. The Lord has this love called agape love. It's the love that is the perfect love, if you will. It's the love of brotherhood. It's the love of wanting to be together in unity. It's actually the love that drove Jesus to the cross as well. It's that kind of love that tolerates one another. We tolerate each other. We're not quick to judge. We don't come out in anger. We stay humble. And this is all brought about with an agape type of love that allows us to be tolerant of each other. You know, it's, it's so easy for us to be negative sometimes. Negativity, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, I come from a background of negative people. I know they're not listening, so it's okay. I can tell you about them. But, and so I have a tendency to lean on the negative. You know, and I, I try not to do that here in church. So, but I'm at home sometimes when I'm alone with Sherry, she knows. I can't hide this from her. I can be very negative. But God calls us to be encouragers. He wants us to be encouragers in love. Pastor Mac, uh, excuse me, Mark Halleck, not Matt Halleck, <laughs> although we almost have a Mark Halleck in Matt. <laughs> but, but Mark Halleck of our, of our uh, main church in Englewood, Calvary Englewood, he is the greatest encourager you'd ever want to meet. And someday soon, we're going to have another conference where all the churches in the Calvary family are going to get together and we should caravan up there, all of us together, just to meet Mark, if you haven't met him yet. He is like six foot four. He's a giant of a man. And he is the biggest 
hugging, hulking human being you've ever met. You will never meet a bigger encourager in your life. And he preaches that from the top down. The Calvary family, if you're a part of the Calvary family, which we are here, we are called to be encouragers, but not just for Mark Halleck. We are called to be encouragers by Jesus Christ as well. So all of these attributes, these four attributes, humility, gentleness, love, and patience, these are what all put the puzzle together. They help hold it together. In verses 3 through 6, Paul tells us why these are important, why all of this matters to us in the church, why it is important for us to remember and participate and is to allow the pieces of this puzzle to fit together in this unified product, this finished product that, that we are supposed to be. Paul tells us that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Each of these attributes, if we live them out, we will have peace. The church is not about strife. It is not about discontent. The church is about love and peace. And when the world looks out there today, they see all kinds of mess. They see all kinds of problems, all kinds of anger. And a lot of times in the church, they don't see love. And they don't see peace. Because we will take our mess out into social media, and we'll take our mess out anywhere, and, and even in public and as Christians, we won't be in that unified state. And who would want to join our church if it looks the same as the world? We are not called to be like the world. We're called to be like Jesus. And so we are to be about peace, unified peace, as an authentically connected church. Paul tells us in verses 4 through 6 that the reason why is because there's one body there's one spirit mimicking the call we have to one hope. And what is that hope? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus Christ, the hope of forgiveness by the way of the cross. The hope of heaven and eternal life with God in his heavenly home. A hope that comes not from anything that we have done, but what he has done for us. That we have one baptism a unified God in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. A God who reigns over all and through all. The one truth, the one hope that holds all of these pieces together to the beautiful picture that we should see on the cover of the box. As he intended his bride to be. Complete with no missing pieces. And so the question that I ask of us this morning is that does our church, Calvary La Junta, reflect that? Do we resemble that picture on the box as a unified body of believers? Are we connected authentically together? Are we agents of peace? And not as weaklings with nothing to stand on because we just let the world walk over us, but no, peaceful in the knowledge that we live in the courage and strength of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who had the courage to bring the one hope through the cross, taking our punishment and the punishment for our sins, and he nailed them through his hands 
and his feet on the cross. And if we say that we don't look like this, then we have work to do. Because as we just talked about, the world needs a unified church right now. It needs a place where they can be assured that there is kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience, and love before our holy God. It's with patience and love that we need to carry each other through the worst times in our life. And we are facing some weird times in 2020 this year. I mean, this is the strangest year that I can remember in a long, long time. And why is this important? Because we have an enemy out there. And the enemy that we have is all about division. The enemy is not about having a unified church. He's about dividing. And he will divide us any way he can. He divides our marriages. He divides our churches. He divides families. He is all about getting in there and trying to tear those pieces apart by the power of the Holy Spirit is holding them together. And so we don't want to be divisive people. We want to be unified people, connected authentically together, allowing each person to play their part and not seeing anyone as more important than the other, but to give everyone the due that they deserve as believers. We must show the truth to the world. So to review, our first point is that we must be completely and authentically connected in unity for the puzzle to be completed. And our second point is that we are, we, that it is important for us to remember that as part of the final picture, that no piece is greater than the other. We're going to go more into detail on this. So if you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14, we'll read through 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27. Starting in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now for the sake of our timing this morning, obviously we're not going to be able to go through 
everything there point by point, and I'm sure you're all very glad about that. But what I want to bring out is the fact that each of us are created uniquely by our Creator to fit into this puzzle, into the body of Christ. And not one of us is more important than the other. Each piece is important. The puzzle is not complete if we have any pieces missing. It is important that the final product is a unified body of Christ so that the bride of Christ will be presented perfect, holy to him. Paul uses uh, the body of Christ as the metaphor, and I'm using, for the sake of our, our core attribute that we have in our church, a puzzle. But it's a similar thing. It's all made up of several parts. And to take our metaphor further of a puzzle, what fun would it be to put a puzzle together that only had one piece? That would be pretty boring and certainly not much of a challenge. But here's an even scarier thought that I thought of, and you know, I don't know what you'll think of it, but imagine the body of Christ with nothing but preachers. That is very frightening to think about, is it not? The noise would be deafening as we all try to talk over one another, but there'd be no one to hear what they had to say. Maybe that's a good thing sometimes, but I don't think that's the way God wanted it to be. That's not how he created us. And like a puzzle, which is created to fit in a certain place, each piece is fit into a certain place because it was created to fit into that place. Have you ever tried when you've put a puzzle together and take a border piece and force it into the middle just because you want it to, it just doesn't work. It might fit, but in the overall scheme of things, you won't be able to leave it there because it wasn't designed to be in the middle. It was designed for its place on the border, on the corner, wherever it was designed to be. And that's how we are. Each of us have been designed for a specific thing. Some of us our teachers, some of us are um, evangelists, some of us are, um, ah, I've lost my place. <laughs> some of us are teachers, evangelists, some of us, you know, are preachers. We all have different things in our life that we do. God has called us uniquely. He has gifted us differently. I am gifted differently than you. And each of us are important. There is no one less important. Everybody who has been given gifts of mercy, and those things are to be like bringing meals to someone, you know, calling a person up and praying with them and telling them, hey, I was thinking about you. Or text them a verse and tell them, hey, I was thinking about you. Is there anything I can pray about? Or bringing food over to someone or driving them to a doctor's appointment, doing a grocery run. All of those things for people, those things are just as important in the body of Christ, in the unified body, as it is to stand up here and lose your place in a sermon. That's what happens. Boy, it's not going well. This is important. We all need to play our part. Each of us is unique, and that's what Paul is telling us, that we have a mission that we're all a part of. All of us need to be a part of that mission. All of us need to do our thing. All of us need to be a part of it. If we are not a part of that, then we need to get in the game. You know, there's, there's also people that are gifted with giving. 
everybody can give something. Everybody has an opportunity to give of the things that the Lord has given them. When we think of that, we look in Luke 21 and we can see the widow who gave two mites. Everyone can give. Some people are able to give because God has blessed them more than others to give more. But the church also needs money. And I know that we don't like to talk about that, but in the end, it needs it because we have things that we need to pay for. The lights, the power, all of the things that need to be done are pastor. But also we need funds in order to be able to do the outreach, like Operation Christmas Child. It takes money to be able to send those boxes out and to bring our message of hope. And so that is also something that the Lord has given us to do. To show the world that we are a unified body of Christ, that all of us are doing our part. Not to our glory, but to the glory of our Lord. The one true hope that is in Him, because we know that He is the answer. Let's review our first two sections. So we must, number one, we must be completely and authentically connected in unity for the puzzle to be completed. And two, we know that each of us is an important part of the final picture. No one piece greater than the other. And third, in our final section, the completed picture is the shared glory with our Lord as a witness to the world. And with that final section, we're going to look at John 17, 20 through 23. The great priestly prayer, we're just going to look at a part of it. Starting in verse 20, as Jesus is praying for us now in this prayer, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. We can see that Jesus himself is very concerned about the unity of faith as he prays to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was sent to the cross. He prayed that all of those who would believe through the witness of those first disciples would be unified, that we would become one in our faith. But not only did he pray that we would become one together, but that we would also become one with him as he is one with the Father, and share in their glory. Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? That one day we will share in the glory of God and be in full unity with our Trinitarian Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what God designed the front of the box to look like. Some of us have wondered, are we ever going to get to what the front of the box look like? This is what the front of the box looks like when there's no missing pieces. This is why Jesus came to the earth to bring about this radical change. A change back to the original design as God created it in the Garden of Eden in our sin and pride and selfishness tore it apart. And this will be done as a witness to the world so that even the biggest skeptic, 
Even the loudest atheist can see the measure of the greatness of our God in his plan. There will be no disputing who God is as our creator, Lord, our God Almighty. And we can start now. And that's the point why it's one of our attributes as a church, one of our core commitments to be authentically connected together in love and in peace and humility and gentleness. Serving our Lord and sharing in the glory of our great God so that the world can see the glory of our God and they can see that there truly is one who sits on the throne and it is not them. Who doesn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? To go from the chaos that we see in our world today to go to a peaceful, unified, humble church body that God has called us to. And this is why that puzzle piece, this puzzle piece here, is so important. Because it represents the picture that God wants us to be in a unified state. That we are his, connected, authentically, puzzle, his bride, put together, unified, with no missing pieces. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for today. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for just speaking through us, Lord, and showing us what it means to be unified and why that's so important, why the world needs to hear that. And if we're not unified together, Lord, then we have work to do. We need to spend more time in prayer together. We need to spend more time connecting authentically together in our community groups, in Sunday school, worshiping together, Lord. We need to show the world your glory, that you are the hope of the world, Lord, that your death and resurrection is what the world needs to answer the problems of the chaos of today. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your word and praise you in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come together now, we've come to the time of taking the Lord's Supper. And as you do that, think about what place you have in your kingdom. Take a moment to contemplate where you sit in the kingdom of God. What piece of the puzzle are you? And are you humble enough to fit where God has put you to be? To not be out there trying to be something that God has not designed you to be. We all need to have our place. And if you think that you're better than someone else, then we need to work on our humility. Let's ask the Lord for that. We know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup that was the blood of the new covenant and he said, this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this table is open for you to come and be a part of in remembrance of what he has done for us. If you are not yet a Christian and you're not sure what your faith is in Jesus, then we would ask you to abstain from that because this is really a table for believers. But if you're not a believer and you want to become a believer, we would love to show you how to do that. 
we would love for you to give your life to the Lord this morning and find out what piece of the puzzle do you fit in his kingdom. And when you're ready, come to the table.